Our God is an awesome God. Shout to the Lord all the earth and let us sing. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. Waymaker, miracle worker, Jesus. Good morning, church. Good morning, welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. You're in the house today. It's so, it's, it's an exciting time, I think, to be a part of this church and what God is doing here in this place. I'm excited because uh, today we're kicking off our summer series that we're simply calling Jesus Music. And, and I don't know about you, but there are certain songs that, that whenever we sing them, like something happens inside of me. Even this morning as we were worshiping together, there were some songs that we sang. And, and man, that just struck a chord on my heart. I get goosebumps. You know, they bring back memories. There are some lyrics whenever I hear them or we sing them together, like I'm moved. Sometimes even like to the point of tears. You know, the music has that ability, doesn't it? And there's a soundtrack that sort of becomes, uh, you know, part of the story of our life. It's, I don't know about you, it's hard to walk around anywhere and not see a teenager with earbuds in their ears with a playlist that they've got on repeat, you know. And, and before we get too judgmental, you were the same way when you were a teenager. You didn't have AirPods, but you had a, a record player, you had a cassette, you had a Walkman maybe, you had something. And there was always music on the radio, always music playing and music. These songs that, that really come to us at different points in our life, they have a way, don't they? of becoming the soundtrack of the story of our life. Songs that carry us through the teenage years. Songs that carry us through those college years. Some of you remember making mixtapes for that special person, right? These songs that just meant so much to us. And before we know it, we're choosing those songs that, that will become the soundtrack to the wedding. You know, the, the song that, that the bride's going to walk down the aisle to. The song that will play when she takes the dance floor for that first dance. There's songs that that just means so much to us. They, they come to us at these significant moments of our lives. There's songs, there's maybe songs that you can't sing anymore because they were sung at a funeral. And to sing that song again, the memories come flooding back. The people, the things they remind you of. There's songs that that bring us incredible joy. Maybe a song that we heard on the radio where we sang in church the first time our child was with us, a newborn child. And there's those songs that we sang in church, some of us growing up. Or those church songs that we heard our grandmother sing when she was walking around the house in the morning. There's those songs that, that really resonate on a different level. They touch the deepest parts of our hearts and our souls. St. Augustine once said, to sing is to pray twice. To sing is to pray twice. And I think you might have been onto something. Because there's something that happens. It's one thing to hear a song. But whenever you sing a song that's about God, that's for God, to God, something happens, something changes. And my guess is, is that for some of you, there are some of those songs, some of those church songs, some of these songs that are about Jesus that 
that really mean a lot to you. So what we want to do this summer is we want to lean into some of these songs that have meant a lot to us both individually and collectively. I want to ask some, some of our friends to kind of walk down. They're going to pass out cards. We do this kind of thing all the time so you guys know what to do. On these cards, there's a place for you to write down maybe the, the, the name of one of those songs, those church songs for you that really has meant a lot to you through the years. And then after you write down whatever that song is, uh, I'd love for you to share the story behind it. Why is that song so important? Why is it so significant? Why does it mean so much to you? If you don't have a song, that's fine. You may think, well, I've got more than one song. That's okay too. We're going to be doing this all summer long and I would invite you through the summer just to take time to think about what are those church songs that have meant so much to me and why? What's the story behind it? And then share those with us. Go ahead this morning while I'm talking and take a moment just to write down the name of that song and maybe the story behind it for you. And we want to just collect those today. We'll collect them at the end of the message and really throughout the summer. And I don't know if we'll be able to because I know there's going to be a lot, but we're going to try to sing as many of those songs as we can uh, through our, our summer of worship together as we lean into this idea of Jesus' music. So here's, uh, here's a song story for you. Uh, 1965, uh, this song by the Righteous Brothers, this, is, this, is, uh, this belongs to a record. If some of you don't know, for, for record players, music used to come like this. This was what it was held in, right? Uh, this song by the, uh, the, the Righteous Brothers hit number one on the charts in 1965. Most people thought when they recorded this song that it wouldn't go anywhere. In fact, they had no idea that it would become a hit. During the same time, you know, the Beatles were popular. Their music was upbeat and catchy. And then the Righteous Brothers come along with a different sound, a different vibe. And, and they released this song that most people in the music industry thought was, was too long and too slow. In fact, when they got done recording it, it was three minutes and 45 seconds, which to be played on the radio in the 1960s, that was like an eternity. And so they were afraid DJs wouldn't play it. So what they did on the record itself, on the label, they, they put the time as 3.05 just so DJs would play it. But, but, but the song was three minutes and 45 seconds long. And the song almost immediately took off. People couldn't get enough of it, mainly because of the, the, the incredible sound the song had, but also the lyrics that everybody really could resonate with. This is a record player, by the way. I love that record players are coming back. My son got one for Christmas, and I'm so glad he did because I can use it today. Uh, so I want to play this song for you. Some of you may know this song, this song by the Righteous Brothers. If you know it, uh, feel free to, if you want to, you can just sing along. There it is. Number one on the charts in 1965, the Righteous Brothers. You've lost that loving feeling. Listen to the lyrics. These are important. How many of you know this song? Raise your hand. How many of you have never heard it? How many of you want to sing along? <laughs> Feel free. You've lost. You didn't think you were going to sing this in church today, did you? <laughs> Oh, that love and feeling. Here's the best part. Love and feeling, now it's gone, gone, gone. 
Yeah, there, there's a reason that that song like almost instantly became so popular around the nation. In fact, since it was released in 1964, it's been covered by more than 200 artists around the world. It's insanely popular. And there's a reason why songs like this strike a chord with us, right? Because these songs, especially these songs about, about love and about relationship and about uh, people that, 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 that maybe at one time loved us, and then for whatever reason lost that loving feeling, when we hear a song like this, it strikes a chord in our hearts because we remember all those feelings and it just floods our souls, right? Music has this ability, doesn't it? I mean, in the span of like two to three minutes, we can be completely transported in time. We can be swept away with emotion. We can get goosebumps on our arms. We can remember things and people and places and even smells, the sound of certain songs or music. They just take us back to different places and times. And then songs like this, songs about love, especially songs about love and love that's been lost, songs about heartbreak. Oh, man, those resonate with the human spirit. I mean, I still remember I was in sixth grade. Her name was Rebecca. We never went on a date anywhere, but we were going out. Until one day, she lost that loving feeling. And she was gone, gone, gone. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was terrible. We know what it's like to to have someone that we love and we think loves us and then walks away from us. But what happens, what happens when it's us? What happens when we're the one that, that loved someone and then we lost the loving feeling and, and we walked away. And what if, let's just drop the anchor a little bit deeper, what happens when the one that we loved and the one that we walked away from is God? Throughout the series, what we want to do every week is just lean into a different song that's meant so much to, to us individually and even to the church collectively throughout, really throughout the centuries, throughout the years. Um, and, and my guess is there are certain songs for you that really, really mean so much. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this church music, this Jesus music, all of these songs, they really are love songs on the very most fundamental basic level you can imagine. All these songs that mean so much to us that we sing to God and for God and about God, they're all songs about the love of God and about our love for Him. And these songs that we sing of love and adoration to God, these are, these are songs of love. Love songs, songs of worship. In 1999, there was a young worship leader by the name of Matt Redman. He was was a a worship leader for a church in Watford, England. And this church, it was on the rise. It was growing. People were coming. People were experiencing God in different ways. And the lead pastor of this church was a man by the name of Mike Pilavachi. And, And in this season of the life of this church, if you were on the outside looking in, you would think, man, everything is going their way. God is doing something in this church, in these people, in this place. And God was, make no mistake about it. But Mike had this sense about him that that even though people were coming, even though lives were being changed, even though worship was amazing, something was missing. And so he decided to do something that was completely unprecedented in that time. In, in a very bold move, he made a decision that, that for a season, for a time, they would completely remove worship from their gatherings. Matt Redmond tells a story. He's like, I, I remember when that happened, it was like I'm out of a job. Like, what do I do? What do we do now? I mean, they took away the sound system. They took away the worship team, the worship band. They took away all of it. 
But in that season of the life of that church, something began to happen within the congregation. Prayer began to break out around the room. Worship began to rise in different pockets. And all of a sudden, people were experiencing and encountering God in different ways. And over time, they added worship back into their gathering. Matt and the team got back and began to lead the people again. But out of that experience, Matt wrote this song. We sang it a while ago, but I want you to hear these lyrics once again. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. This is one of those songs that after Matt wrote it and after their church began to sing it, almost immediately it was being sung in churches around England and then around the world. Why? Because it put words to something that so many people were feeling but didn't know how to express it, right? That we've made worship about so many other things. We've made worship about what we like, about the songs we like, about the music we like, about, about, you know, about the people that are leading the worship and, and the church and the kind of church it is that's having the worship. And, and it's become about so many things, about me and my preferences. And worship, you know this, worship is about so much more than singing, but we've made it about singing. And, 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 and in that moment, there was sort of this collective feeling of, oh, yeah. Something's happened within the church, right? God is no longer at the center of our lives. We've made this moment that's all about him, all about us. And we need a way to find our way back to the heart. The heart of worship, the heart of God. And and this wasn't just a problem in the church in the 90s. It's not just a problem for the church in 2022. This was a, a problem for the church from the very beginning. In fact, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, I would invite you to open up to Revelation chapter 2, the very last book of the Bible. You may or may not spend much time reading Revelation. Many people don't because they think it's confusing. They don't quite understand it. I get that. That's okay. Revelation chapter 2, though, I want us to lean into just this one moment. This is what Revelation is, is it's literally a revelation that God gave a man by the name of John who was exiled on the island of Patmos right outside the coast of Turkey, right? John was exiled there, isolated there because of his faith in Jesus, because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And so he's exiled to the island of Patmos. And while he's there living in isolation, God gives him a vision, And this is a vision for the people of God. This is a revelation to share with the people of God, the church that was up under tremendous persecution, going through an insanely difficult time. And I want you to hear just just one of the things that God, really what Jesus says, this vision that Jesus gives to this man named John for a church in the ancient city of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So this message is literally from Jesus to this church. 
Jesus says, I know, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know how you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Another version says it this way. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. What does it look like for a church that has abandoned or lost the love that it had for God from the very beginning? This is a letter written to a church in Ephesus, right? This part of Revelation is addressed to this church in Ephesus. And if you don't know, this church was a really, really good church. There's a letter in the New Testament called Ephesians. That was written by the Apostle Paul to this church in Ephesus. This is a church, by the way, that Paul planted. Paul started this church in Ephesus. He lived there for three years. If you read the end of Acts 20, you'll find out that as Paul is leaving Ephesus, leaving this church, he's meeting with the elders there, and they are all in tears. He's crying as he leaves this church, as he leaves the city of Ephesus and this church that he loves so much. This was a really, really good church. But listen to what Jesus says to this really good church in the ancient city of Ephesus. I know, I know your good works and your patient endurance. Jesus says, I know your good works. I know all the good that you do. Did you know that you can be a really good church? You can do good works. You can give to those in need. You can serve your neighbors in love and still lose sight of your first love. Jesus says, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Did you know that you can do what's right and you can hate what is wrong and still miss the heart of worship? Jesus says, I know that you've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. Did you know that we can root out false teachers and still miss the heart of God? Don't miss this. You can be, we can be doctrinally correct. We can get it all right and still get it wrong. We can spend all of our time, and by the way, this isn't to say that we shouldn't. We should spend time trying to learn all we can about God's word, about Jesus, about his great love for us, about him and and understanding him and knowing him and thinking in in a right way about God. Yes, we should, and we should strive to teach others in a spirit of love and truth. Yes, absolutely. But you can get it all right. And still miss the heart of God, the heart of worship. Jesus says to this really good church in the city of Ephesus, and this one's a hard one, that you can patiently suffer for him without quitting. You can endure patiently. You can go through extremely difficult times through hardship and not give up on God and still miss the heart of God. You can go through difficult times, through hardship. You can be, these these Christians, they were up under persecution. You can be up under accusation. You can go through insanely difficult times in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your work, in, in your world, with your kids, whatever the case may be. You can go through all of that and hold on to faith and not give up on God and still be guilty of abandoning your first love. This church 
this really good church in the ancient city of Ephesus, they got so many things right, but they missed this. They abandoned the love they had for God, the love, the heart for God they had from the very beginning. And and sometimes I understand this is hard to to get our minds around. What does this mean for a church? What does this look like in the life of a church? But I think all of us understand what this looks like just in daily life. You've probably witnessed this in, in, um, in a marriage relationship. Two people that have been married, maybe they've been married for five years, seven years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, right? But somewhere along the way, they lost that love they had at first for one another. They still live under the same roof, but they don't sleep together anymore. They're in the same house, but they don't live in the same bedrooms. Maybe they still talk. Maybe they still even eat meals together. Maybe they even still share a bank account. They're in a married relationship, but they're not in an intimate relationship. Did you know you could know God? You could be familiar with God. You could consider yourself in a relationship with God and be guilty of losing, abandoning the love you had for God from the very beginning. This is what happened in this church in the ancient city of Ephesus. Why? Because they had lost. They had lost the love they had for God from the very beginning. And this happens in so many churches today, doesn't it? So many churches that are doing good, that are giving to those in need, that are serving others in love, that are trying to speak the truth in love, that are trying to care for one another. But yet somewhere along the way, they lost their heart for God, their love for God. They lost the heart of worship, something Is missing. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 5. This is what he says to this really good church in the city of Ephesus. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Here's the good news. Repentance is the way back to the heart of worship. Repentance. It's the way back to the heart of God. Repentance is how, it's how we, we recover our first love for God. It, it, same way in a marriage, right? You learn this when you're going through, uh, you know, marriage counseling, premarital counseling. There's these two words that, that you can speak in, in a marriage relationship that when they're spoken in a spirit of humility and repentance and sincerity, they can pave the way back to intimacy, right? Those two words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. The good news is when you repent, when we repent. And what does repent mean? It means to make a U-turn, to turn back to God. Whenever you repent, whenever we repent, whenever we turn to God, God runs toward us. So here's the question I want you to think about as we begin this summer series, leaning into this idea of worship and the Jesus music that so many of us love. Have you lost the love that you had for God when you first gave him your heart? Have you lost the love that you had for God when you first gave him your heart? Do you remember that moment? You remember that moment when what you knew intellectually about God, what you knew intellectually about what he did for you through Jesus at the cross, when that connected with your heart, that this is between your your, your head and your heart, it's 18 inches. But when those two things came together and you realized what God had done for you through Jesus and it met the emotion of your heart, in that moment, it changed your life forever. And you gave your heart and your life to Christ. Do you remember what song 
was sung. The day you confess Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. I remember, this has been several years ago, before our family moved to Capel, we were living in Atlanta and we were at worship one day at church with our family. And in that season of my life, I just, I really remember this. Like every time that we gather to worship with our church, I don't know why, but I would always worship with my arms crossed or my hands in my pocket. And I, I don't know why this day just is stuck in my mind, but, but it is, and I'll never forget it. I don't know if the Holy Spirit was speaking to, to me that day or what, but, but I'll never forget two questions that came into my mind on that particular day as we gathered to worship together. The first question was this, with my hands in my pockets. Is this the way I'm going to worship when I get to heaven? And I'll be honest, the answer to that question for me was probably not. And then this question came into my head. And again, I don't know if the Holy Spirit was speaking to me or what, but I looked over and I saw my children, I saw my beautiful wife. And I was thinking about my kids as we were singing these songs of worship and I thought, is this the image you want your kids to have of their father worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And again, for me, the answer to that question was a resounding no. And that day I made a promise to myself. I may not raise my hands during every song of every worship gathering we are a part of from that day on, but, but I will no longer worship with my hands in my pockets or my hands crossed. The posture of my worship, when I come before God, it's gotta reflect that I am standing in the presence of the King of glory. It's gotta reflect this idea that I'm gonna bring you more than a song. A song in itself is not enough. It's not what you've required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And when you look into my heart, what I want you to see is that I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And the heart of worship, it's all about you, Jesus. And listen, if you worship with your hands in your pockets or your arms crossed, I'm not picking on you. I'm telling you what, what God did in my heart that day in my life. But I will say as a church, maybe it's time that we think about the same question that Jesus was putting before this really good church in the city of Ephesus some 2,000 years ago. We do really good things. We serve our community in love. We give with an uncommon generosity. We love each other really, really well. We are not perfect. In fact, we say we are imperfectly perfect. <laughs> and we'll stick to that. But have we lost, have we abandoned the love that we had for God in the very beginning? Do we need to return to the heart of worship? We have to get back. We have to come back to the heart of worship because the heart of worship, it's always been all about the heart of Jesus. The heart of worship has always been all about the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus, in case you didn't know, the heart of Jesus is all for you. The heart of Jesus is all for us. The heart of Jesus is all about that day on Calvary some 2,000 years ago when Jesus took his hands out of his pockets. He stretched them out on a cross where they were nailed. And then he was lifted up. 
And as he was, and as he did, and as his arms were spread wide open, he declared, I love you this much. And what we do when we gather in this place to worship is we respond to that love with love. And it's not about my preferences. It's not about the songs I like or don't like. It's not about if Chad leads it or Zach leads it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So a couple of years ago, we are in the same room that we're in right now. I'm with my family again in worship. Zach comes up to lead us and we stand. Back in those days, one of my daughter was bringing her Barbies to church. Maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but we stand to worship. And as we stand to worship, she stands to worship. And as she stands to worship, that Barbie stands to worship. (laughs) And then that Barbie's hands go up in worship. Maybe this summer, if we could just give ourselves permission and freedom to come back to the heart of worship. And I don't know about you, but when we're standing in the throne room of heaven, when we join in with the angels and the, the, the worship of heaven that is unending and unrelenting, it, you're not going to think twice about what you sound like. You're not going to care for one second what you look like. All you want is for God to know the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King of glory, to understand that he has your undivided attention and your undivided heart and that he is worthy of your worship. My prayer for you, my prayer for us is that we could come back to that heart, the heart of God and the heart of worship. If you would, church, let's stand. The Righteous Brothers, at the end of that song, you've lost that loving feeling. They end with these lyrics, bring back that loving feeling. And that's my prayer for us this summer, that we could bring back that love and feeling to church, to worship, to these moments where we gather together to lift every voice and every heart to God. And I'll tell you that happens, that happens when individually we take time throughout the week to come back to the heart of worship, spending time with God in prayer and song and scripture. When you do that individually, then when we gather collectively, I'll tell you what happens, we erupt in worship. And I'm excited this summer to see that happen. And I wanna say thank you again for sharing your song, sharing your stories. I'm gonna invite these guys to come back with baskets. If you wrote down a song and a story, we wanna collect those, we wanna share those this summer. We want to be encouraged by those songs, by those stories. And as we kind of kick off the series and in our time today, we want, to, we want to close with the same song we started with a few minutes ago. We want to say, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And as we do, let's lift every heart. Let's lift every voice. Let's give our worship to God.